2: iron in the 21st century hard working people
1: Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, call Axon Tire. Or don't call them, just go to AxonTire.com. It's way easier. The internet works better when you just go there and don't call them. So it's way better. Check that out. Axon Tire has a couple great gifts you want to give away to the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast. they got a really nice Alliance baseball cap and an Alliance-branded flashlight. So if you want one of those... If you want either one of those or both of them at the same time, send an email to marketing at axontire.com, and they will send you a free hat and flashlight in the mail. Also, if you're one of the first 150 people to sign up for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th, uh, the first $50 of your registration fee will be covered by Axon. So if you're interested in doing that, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, or you can just go over to Iron llc.com and in the upper right hand corner click on the moving iron summit tab and you get all the information there you need valley transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years call parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at valley transportation our goal is to help you reach yours powered by Farm credit ag direct is built for today's agriculture with simple applications quick responses competitive rates and generous flexible terms AgDirect offers great buy lease and refinance options on almost all types of new and used equipment non-recourse and timely funding back to the dealership plus sales incentives no other ag equipment lender works like ag direct learn more by calling your ag direct territory manager at 888-525-9805 or visit us at agdirect.com Tractor zoom has access to over 20 billion dollars in heavy equipment sales data tractors rooms iron comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights this podcast is brought to you by anvil appworks the dealer connect crmi app with integrated inventory management is an affordable salesforce-based solution for your dealership create connected customer experience transform how you work today this podcast is also brought to you by iron solutions powered by randall riley i've got Sean Hackett here with us from Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean, how are you doing this morning, man?
2: I'm doing good, Casey. Really, really good to be back on the show.
1: So. Yeah, me too. I was I was uh, a tad bit under the weather last week. And for whatever reason, I couldn't talk very well in the morning. Something about not being able to catch my breath. So, I don't know if I'm just... Right, out- your
2: I've said she actually enjoyed that, but that's not well, important she now.
1: She probably did. <laughs> probably did. I, I don't know if I'm that out of shape or if I was that sick. So. <laughs> Probably a combination of both, I would, I would guess. <laughs> All right, Sean. Last week you put out an article, uh, or an article, uh, a, a report out, and you hit on natural gas a little bit there. And we've been watching natural gas go from ten bucks down to under two, and it's actually lower now than it was when it took off the first time. So, I guess, Sean, take a look at that that nat gas market, and what do you see there?
2: Well, <clears throat> you know, everyone had uh bit up the natural gas market expecting a energy crisis in europe Mm -hmm. and of course a kind of a short warm winter which we had been warning about took the punch bowl away um and allowed for that crisis to abate and as such the market came tumbling down and of course natural gas being what it is it tends to be the wild wild west of commodities in terms of its volatility um, and so, yeah, we, we, we knocked this market down, you know, over 80% from its highs and actually made kind of a V bottom here about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, uh, and then rallied almost um, 50% off the lows uh, before having a little bit of a correction yesterday. So what it looks to me, just as to give you kind of a, a benchmark, if you look at natural gas going back to, to, the, to 1990, we watch something called a deviation from the 200 moving average. It's a measure of how stretched the market can get up or down. The record deviation natural gas has ever seen below its 20 moving average was 61 percent in 1994, which set a very important low. We got down to 67 percent below the 20 moving average at the lows from a couple of weeks ago, um, suggesting an extreme, at least short-term, you know, overdoing to the downside. Uh, and, and so now we've had this you know rally up the lows. But when you really think about it, Casey, natural gas in Europe and Asia is between $15 to $20, down from $100, by the way, right. but still $15 to $20. Right. And we're sitting yeah. in the twos. The world will continue to buy as much LNG from the United States as they can possibly get their hands on that we can possibly sell to them, given our overall LNG export capacity. Um, everyone in the world will do everything they can to get their hands on that kind of cheap energy. Even you factor in shipping costs, it's incredibly cheap energy. Now, remember, the Freeport uh, export terminal, mm-hmm. which exports 25% of LNG exports, was has been offline since September of last year because of a big fire that they had. It's finally come back online here in March, and they're expected to get up to full capacity here in April and May. So now we've, we've just in, literally overnight increased our capacity to sell 25% more than we had been at a time that natural gas is just crazy cheap here. So, uh, you know, throwing some uh, kind of some cooler weather here in March, um, you know, finally getting a little bit of a cool weather after a warm winter. And, and we and it looks to me like the an important low in natural gas has been made. Um, and I think that uh, it doesn't mean, by the way, we're going back to 10 anytime soon. I'm not suggesting that. But I think you know, when you're starting, when you, when you see natural gas prices in the twos, the long-term picture for anyone that needs cash supplies, whether it's propane, whether it's natural gas, whether it's fertilizer, you know, anything related to natural gas derivatives at this moment, I think you're looking at a long-term good opportunity to be locking in some long-term cash
1: Needs at this moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, kind of looks like that way, Sean. You take a look, what's going on? There's a, it's really low right now. And, and like you just said, there's some opportunities because this, we're, you know, we're going through uh, a, a bit of a warm up here from what we've seen over the last, um, I don't know, couple, maybe last 60 days or so. But we still have these, uh, like this week, you know, where it's the highs 37 and the, the lows are in the 20s. And, it just doesn't stay very warm very long. So there's there's definitely some that's spring hanging on or winter hanging on to spring there a little bit.
2: Yeah, and it's and 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 you know if you look at this a seasonal chart of natural gas uh throughout, you know, not every year does it doesn't you know seasonals are averages, not every year, but typically uh natural gas likes the bottom in the latter part of February and early March in most years as a seasonal uh, you know kind of a situation and if you look at the price chart we kind of bottomed right there in a lot of part of february kind of right when the seasonals would suggest didn't have to turn out that way but i mean it's a it's it was the right time for the market to say you know what unless we're going to zero enough's enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. you
1: know yeah yeah all right let's jump over and talk about soybeans for just a minute we have a couple things going on one argentina still has continued to uh, cut their soybean crop um two weeks ago they had a pretty big cut there about 5 million metric tons and they're cutting another million metric tons off of that. Um, and then you've got China buying, um, record, um, soybean, um, from the United States and Brazil, both at the same time. So I guess, Sean, look at the, at the overall soybean marketplace. Um, what are your thoughts there? And, you know, like we've talked about quite a bit here, we've talked about, um, a lot of different um, scenarios when it comes to renewable fuels and what's that look like in the future when it comes to soybeans. So I guess looking at overall stocks in the world right now, uh, depending on what happens with uh, with Brazil and what that crop ultimately ends up looking like, um, we could have a fair amount of soybeans on the market here this this time next year.
2: Well, the way I look at South America, you know, it, 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 it looks like whatever, Brazil gained in production from a year ago. Brazil, uh, Argentina lost it. Okay. Now, of course, Argentina sells meal and oil, not really raw soybeans. Brazil sells raw soybeans, so we're going to have bigger exports of raw soybeans, kind of Brazil. But the overall exports of raw soybeans and derivative products like meal and oil is going to be about the same. So there's not going to be any net new supplies coming out of South America because we're kind of almost looking at a half a crop in Argentina. Which means they're gonna be their exports of meal and oil are gonna be significantly constrained. So that's not bearish. It's not bullish. It's just it just keeps the situation as it was a year ago, which means the US has to have a big crop. Right. Now, you know, we've gone over a lot of scenarios of renewable diesel and True. the amount of capacity coming online. I mean, bare, bare minimum of, if we chop down everything and we we try to get as bare minimum as we possibly can with all the different scenarios, we need 10 to 12 million additional acres planted in the U.S. of soybeans over the next two years. If you believe the USDA's outlook report and some of the private estimates, we're not expected to increase soybean acres this year at all. That's a mispricing. And if you look at the price of new crop soybeans, it's been gaining on corn. It's been gaining on spring wheat it's been gaining on cotton it's been gaining on rice because it realized it made a terrible mistake it's mispriced new crop soybeans relative to competing crops and it needs to get acres in right and so i believe that the trend of of soybeans outperforming other crops to gain those acres as we get into the planting season is going to continue until the market gets comfortable that it's remedied the error that they made and it gets like I said, some of those acres over to soybeans because we—I do, don't think we can afford Casey to have a flat acreage here this year with all that's coming for for 24 and 25. I think we need to start you know, getting a few million or two or three million more acres this year and then and then adding it next year. So, so to me, that's the other big story is soybeans having to price itself competitively to gain some acres in those acreage areas that can switch and needs to do it in a hurry and it's starting to do so. All the ratio charts I just mentioned are showing soybeans outperforming all of the crops right now.
1: Yeah, so. That's what it's looking like from what I've been just watching on my, on my chart. It's just been uh soybeans have kind of caught a little bit of a, got a little steam headed their way. All right. So let's talk about what's going on over in pork production here for just a minute. Um, so you got the Chinese out there talking like they're going to increase pork production, but they, they say that every year and, they still buy record amounts. Um, and then you start looking at where we're at um in the United States as far as pork prices go. But you look at the pork market right now, you've talked about some some bearishness here the first year, and then maybe seen some some of that kind of wear-off here towards the uh the second quarter going into the third quarter of the year. What are your thoughts on on the pork market? And they still the same?
2: I mean, even though I I, I can appreciate and understand that that. Pork is not necessarily a one-for-one replacement for beef. It's not. It's two different meats, and it's not a perfect replacement. But <laughs> when you have the beef price trading at an historic premium to the pork price, um, the economics are so severe yeah. uh, that anyone that is looking at providing meat proteins on the table for their families has to be looking at adding pork protein to their diet. Relative to beef protein, I mean the, the 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 gap is just too too severe, and so I believe that, and this is not just the United States; this is everywhere. There's just a massive, massive gap. So that means demand for pork is going to improve around the world. um And as China comes out of their COVID chaos, obviously they're going to be needing more meat proteins, and obviously they're going to be also needing, you know, more pork. So so overall, I think the demand side of the equation looks pretty good as we get into the second quarter onward. know given this huge disparity and you know once again i i don't nobody knows what the truth is in china anybody that says they know the truth in china they don't all i know is that the uh hog price in china has been rising and that means there's not enough hogs for the pork supplies that they need which says that we don't have an overburdensome supply of pork in china especially as it come out of covid chaos um and then I look at the animal feeding units here in the United States, and you know it's been kind of flatlined here for three or four years, and I don't see anything that suggests that's going to change. So we have a pretty good situation for an improvement in price for the U.S. hog price here going into the second quarter, and probably you know going into the into the summer and the fall. I I, I think this is a a pretty good area for you know if you're in the if you're a um, packing house and you're thinking I need to be locking in some animals here for the grilling season. And, you know, I, I just think this is a good place to be protecting upside price risks on your cash market needs. Um, you know, I just think this is a pretty good value area to be looking to do some of those longer term things that typically are very, you know, it's how you run a, a packing house as you try to lock in good input costs against what you think your end user, you know, pork price is going to be. So I, I haven't really changed the view other than I just feel that the disparity between the two has gained even more and it just makes the the case even stronger that hog prices and pork prices have to rally strongly as we get into the second quarter onward
1: right on okay all right so 2 weeks ago i believe um brazil had a outbreak of mad cow disease in their cattle herd and subsequently uh stopped selling beef to china um there's a report this morning that mexico is going to allow Brazilian beef imports, but I guess looking at that, Sean, what kind of impact did you, have you seen that make on the overall beef marketplace um, since the last, over the last two weeks? And, and I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts there in an already fairly tight um, marketplace?
2: Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're already tight and you know, there's no animals coming for the next couple of years and you throw in a loss of Brazilian beef exports to China Um, and we don't know how long, of course, maybe, maybe it'll be over this afternoon. We don't know. Right. I think the last time we went through this, if I remember correctly, I think it was two or three months, um, where they couldn't sell and then they were able to sell again. I have to believe, you know, that this won't be any longer than that. And maybe it could be shorter than that. So it's a short-term thing. I mean, obviously it has extra demand for u.s beef that wouldn't otherwise be there at a time they're already tight and of course it it's given the market an extra boost here but i'd also be careful on the opposite side when you get that announcement that um you know china says oh they're, they're comfortable again they're going to buy that they're, they're okay with beef imports from brazil again you know you could get the opposite side of the trade where everyone says okay all as well you know we, we overplayed this so you gotta be very very careful at that kind of a news story it's it's i I really don't believe it's going to be a long-term thing, but it has created a short-term boost to price at a time that the market was already tight.
1: Yeah. So you're looking at what, like you were talking about Packers a little bit ago, but here's a report that, that Packers bought 91,000 head of cattle in a negotiated market last week, second highest tally of the year. So it still shows, even though the price of, of, of beef is as high as it is, there's still this record. seems like record demand for for beef right now.
2: Beef demand has been surprisingly resilient. Yeah. It has been. Um, um, it, it seems that um,
1: um, you kind of have the space of everything around you, too. Like, you wouldn't think it would be as as, as expensive it is, as it is. You didn't think it would be that way.
2: It's one of those uh, enigmas. You know, it, it could be that it all comes crashing down all at once and it's just a, a final uh, surge in, in demand, but it has been surprising. Case I have to admit that when you're looking at weak demand in a lot of other areas, you would have thought that the box beef price would have um, softened here some. Uh, it doesn't mean it won't soften, but it, it, it has been resilient. And, um, you know, I, I I guess it just means that U.S. has enough people with enough money that really, really like beef and don't want to give it up, given the supply of animals that are available. To, and that's um, we'll have to just continue to watch that trend because if if, if we're moving into a a beef market that's becoming non-economically sensitive, that's a totally different ball game to what we've been that we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years, where we know beef demand tends to come off. So I wouldn't say the test is over yet. You know, it, it does look like conditions are going to worsen here. Uh, into the second quarter, the Fed's going to continue to raise those rates. A lot of the indicators are continuing to show things are going to get worse. But if we get into the end of the second quarter, KC, and we haven't seen the material decline in beef demand, we're going to have to kind of rework our numbers about what that means for the overall supply-demand equation if we're moving into a more impervious demand base based upon the economy. I'm not willing to throw that hat in the ring yet, but it's certainly something we've gone long enough with strong demand for beef that one has to question whether we've shifted gears here to a different uh, supply-demand mechanism here.
1: Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Ryan. right. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you have going over there at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that?
2: We have a website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have a Twitter page at at 11 We have a LinkedIn page. You can look up my name, Sean Hackett. You can look up our company name, Hackett Financial Advisors. We oftentimes will put from time to time some interviews or some quick blurbs about some of these weather cycles and you know, and fundamental things that we talk about that can keep people in the loop. And, uh, and so that would be a good place for people to, you know, try to keep on tabs of what we might be thinking very at various times throughout the year.
1: So, right okay. Check it out. Sean's got tons of information out there, especially on his website there over at of Financial um, tons and or com. Sorry. Um, check that out over there. A lot of good information there in the simple Google search of Sean Hackett, you're going to find tons of tons of interviews and stuff out there uh, and stuff too. So check that out. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
2: Thank you, Casey. Love your show. And it's an honor to be on it.
1: So. I appreciate that. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the Mo- Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is shockingly enough named the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So, Really, really thought on that one a long time. So check that out there. Um, all the all the videos that we do, every podcast that we do, the video version of it, it's up there at the same time. So um, movingironllc.com is where you can find everything Moving Iron related. I just posted a whole bunch of blogs because I'm really bad about posting those blogs after I write them. So they're up there now. Check that out. A um, couple interesting things I'm talking about here, just looking at where I see the market headed and and how do I see the, uh, the whole... Uh, upgrade kit stuff playing into it and, and how the, uh, um, the marketplace is is trending right now. So check that out. So if you're interested in getting more information about the moving iron summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th, go to the upper right-hand corner of the moving iron podcast on the navigation pad tab and, uh, click on the uh, moving iron summit tab and all the information will be there. Got a gentleman by the name of Sean glass going to be our keynote speaker. Uh, Sean is a, a former Navy SEAL going to talk about what's going on in, uh, and and how uh, leadership's going to play into this. Because I think as we head into a, a brave new world here, when you start looking at how machines are going to operate and how we're going to work with an entire new workforce and those kinds of things, that there's going to be some leadership issues that come along the way. So it will be interesting to get his take on all that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. with Sean Hackett. Smooth smart folks. Out. Exxon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work.
0: Moo! Mm-hmm.